Good morning, Transit family. Good morning, Transit family. Feel free to grab a seat. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Stop being so polite and talkative. Just kidding. Well, good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and today we are continuing our series in the book of Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, Jen and I just want to express our gratitude to our amazing church family for just how awesome you guys are to our family. If you're new here and you don't know the context of this, I've been on paternity leave for about three weeks. And uh, my wife and I just had our fourth uh, kid, and everyone's doing really well. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're just so blessed. If I just fall asleep halfway through my sermon, just come and slap me and wake me up. Uh, but uh, for me, being out of the pocket for about three weeks and being able to reflect on kind of uh, just God's blessing in our life being the transit church family. I think from the leadership to the members and the way personally you guys just came alongside and are continuing to uh, love and support us. I think I've gained like 15 pounds all, with all the meals you've provided. Uh, and, and then just so grateful for our leadership and our volunteers and our members. Like I, I came here last week and was just grinning ear to ear with this kind of like fatherly affection and, and, uh, and pride in, in our church. And it's just, just such a good season for our church. Uh, not every church is as blessed with the unity uh, and the love and the support from top to bottom and bottom to top that we're experiencing this season. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving Jesus and loving each other and loving uh, us so well. We, we really uh, appreciate it. And uh, I'm really tired. I'm about to cry through this whole sermon. But that was genuine, all right? And so if it was awkward for you, it was awkward for me as well. All right, we're moving on. We appreciate you guys. We love you. There's been some seasons of ministry that have been really hard uh, being in ministry, being a pastor. And this season in particular has been really, really blessed. And I don't want to take that for granted. And God showed me that. Um, and so I'm really grateful uh, for that. So thank you guys. I'm not crying. All right. So where we're at, <laughs> we're shifting into a heavy text. So this is interesting that this is how this starts. All right. So Jonah chapter 3 is a heavy text. And so in our text today, we're going to see that God commissions Jonah to go to pagan Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and call out judgment against the Ninevites because of their sin and their, and their wickedness. And, say, and Jonah essentially goes with this message, hey, because of your sin, in 40 days, God is sending disaster upon the city. That's the message. And at first glance, when we, when we hear that, obviously we kind of wince. We're like, ah, man, that's harsh. That's condemning. That's, oh, that's, that's cruel, right? That's, that's violence, right? Now let me ask this question to you all. Who here is really, really grateful that they have a gaslight in their car? Right? Only a couple of you, you guys know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what is the purpose of a gaslight? The gaslight is your personal prophet in your car who is going to call you to repentance for your foolishness. Out of living a life out of foolishness and saying, and it's a prophetic utterance. When that gaslight comes on you in your car, it's saying, you have 30 miles until you face disaster. That's what it's, I mean, that's what it is, right? 30 miles unless you repent, get off the highway, turn around, change directions, which is repentance, turn from somewhere to something else, and get yourself some gas in the car, okay? So no one in the history of, well, at least from my limited experience, I'm just going to exaggerate for the sake of this illustration, I don't know of anyone who has ever written, like, the Toyota manufacturer and been like, you are so cruel. You are so closed-minded that you would dare tell me what I should do and how I should drive my car. Who are you to tell me if I have gas in the car or not? I decide that, thank you very much. No one ever said that, ever. 
we'd have that light come on, and some of you, like, you know, you just push it to the limit, and you, yeah, probably majority of us, right? But, but how, cruel, how cruel of the manufacturer if they knew they could give us that software in the car, right? And uh, because they didn't want to come across as mean or harsh or critical uh, and not tell people when they're in danger, that they just simply didn't install. Like, no cars in 2025, a new edict is issued from the government, no cars are going to have gas lights in them or battery lights in them. Do you, do you know the unmitigated disaster that 495 would be in rush hour traffic if cars didn't have a check, like a, a gas light on them? It would be chaos. People just running out of gas. You know, backing up traffic, it would be, it would be nuts. So it's not, Jonah's message here from God isn't cruelty. It's God's compassion. God is a God of love. God is a God of justice. Those two go hand in hand. And there is no sin that will not go unpunished because all of his judgments are perfect and true. But God delights in showing mercy and having uh, his mercy triumph through his judgment, which is the series theme that we're going with. And so when God goes to uh, Nineveh with Jonah as his ambassador, it's his compassion that he's telling them to repent and turn from their wickedness. So with that context in mind, our text today breaks down into three scenes. They all rhyme. Uh, I didn't plan this, but here it is. And the three scenes are Jonah went, Nineveh repents, and God relents, okay? I've been doing some poetry. Um, I'm preparing to leave. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. We're going to go kind of text by text, verse by verse here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are so glad in your mercies today that are new every morning. We rejoice in you being king of the universe, and yet, Christ, you condescend and long to be our shepherd who walks alongside of us through the valley of the shadow of death and by the green pastures that the king of the universe longs to be with us to the extent that when our sins separated separated us from your loving care, that this king stepped off his throne, the king of the universe came, was born in a filthy manger, took on flesh, suffered, absorbed the wrath of God on the cross, died for our sins. Why? So that we could be restored to fellowship with our shepherd and our king. So we don't want to take that for granted this morning. I pray you give us a fresh perspective on the gospel, fresh perspective on every spiritual blessing that we have in you, Christ Jesus, and that you would fan, Holy Spirit, you'd fan into flame remembrance that you are a God who delights in showing mercy. And that's why we are here today is because of your mercy. We're breathing your air. And even in spite of, uh, of you giving us life and all things were created by you and, and for you, even in spite of us uh, hijacking that calling and living for ourselves and turning our backs on you, you did not turn your back towards us, but opened your arms on the cross and absorbed uh, the wrath of God for our sins and took the hit so that we, instead of having wrath rain down on us, we could have your kindness and your mercy and your love rain down on us. That's our inheritance forever is your kindness through Christ Jesus. So we give him glory, magnify your son this morning, Lord Jesus, through the preaching of your word. And would the refrain of that song happen today for those that know you and for those that don't know you, that there would be a fresh surrendering to the God of mercy today, where we have been fighting you, where we have been running from you, where we lay down our arms and raise the white flag and entrust ourselves to the God of all mercy, to the God of steadfast love. So have your way, Holy Spirit. Would you minister your gospel, your love, your kindness to our hearts? And would you increase and would I decrease? And we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, point number one, scene number one, Jonah went, verses one through four. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out 
against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, the first thing I want to hone in on is this. Look at the man that God in his kindness uses to bring an entire pagan city to repentance. Okay, if we, if, if you, if, uh, to, to get ourselves uh, up to speed with where we're at in the narrative of, of Jonah, if we were to ask, what is the context of Jonah chapter 3? What has preceded this? If we were to ask that question, we would answer it by asking another question. What does Jonah smell like in Jonah chapter 3? Yeah, he smells like a fish, like a stanky, nasty, rancid fish. Because our boy's been three days and three nights miraculously preserved in a submarine God sent to send him from going west on the Mediterranean to eastbound. He gets, he gets vomited up onto the sea, and this is where we find our prophet. This is where we find him. Smelling like fish, maybe eyebrows burnt off, hair burnt off because of the acid of the stomach. Um, and I don't know about you, man, but if you're, like, if you're spending three days in the, in the belly of a beast, I mean, I, I can't imagine that fishy smell. That's got to take months to, to get out of your skin. And um, if we were to ask a follow-up question, well, why did Jonah get swallowed like a fish? Why does he smell like a fish? Because Jonah ran from God. He disobeyed God, right? A prophet, who knew the Lord, who was called by God, who heard his voice. He fled from the presence of God. He said, God said, go, and Jonah said, no, and he ran. And it was God's fatherly discipline. It was God's fatherly discipline is the reason that he smells like fish in our text. And why is all this important? Because here's what I want to highlight in our text. Jonah is on the heels of his biggest, most embarrassing moral ministry failure of his entire life, right? Like if there was social media back then and 24-7 news cycle, uh, the articles would read, uh, major prophet deconstructs his faith, runs from uh, his people's country, uh, puts innocent sailors' lives at risk, and oh, by the way, God disciplines him by swallowing him by a fish, you know? Like that's, that's the headline. And that is what is in the rearview mirror of Jonah's life. And in spite of all of that, on the heels of his biggest, most embarrassing ministry failure, the God of kindness, the God of steadfast love, the God of patience, it says in our text, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God, in a way, wraps his arm around Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, we're going to Nineveh. You're still my man for the job. I haven't given up on you. You're still my man for the job. I haven't given up on you. Now, like, if I were to put myself in God's shoes, dealing with Jonah, uh, Jonah's fired, right? Like, I'm done with you. Like, you're a hot mess. You are a lot to handle. If you guys read Jonah 4, it gets, it gets almost worse in Jonah chapter 4, how, how God is just so patient with Jonah. And yet, isn't that how God deals with the likes of us? Right, a time after time where we think, okay, God's going to say, finally now, I'm unadopted. Finally now, I'm, I'm not going to be used anymore. And yet God looks at Jonah and says, you're still my man for the job. I haven't given up on you. You, yes, you are going to bring revival to an entire pagan city of Nineveh. It's beautiful. It's 
beautiful. And the reason I want to hone in on this is because often we put ourselves as God's people. We put ourselves on the bench when the coach has told us to get in the game. We put ourselves on the bench. And the reason why is because of what I've heard another person say, I'm going to steal, I forget, you know, a bunch of, bunch of pastors steal from everyone, but they call it stinking thinking, right? And stinking thinking is this, is that God has called me the light of the world, uh, the salt of the earth, uh, an ambassador for Christ Jesus. That's an identity. That's positionally my, my, my position as a son and daughter of God because of what Christ has done. This is my new role, my new identity. And instead we say, no, no, yeah, that, that's true, but I'm like JV squad. I can't get my act together. Uh, other people can get their act together. Uh, the professional podcasters or, or pastors or evangelists, sure, they can do the work of the ministry. They can do the Great Commission. They can uh, fulfill uh, all that other stuff. But for me, I'm just going to ride the bench uh, in this thing called advancing the kingdom of God. We put ourselves on the bench when the coach has told us to get in the game. And, and, and I love the realism of the Bible. I love the realism of the Bible. The only hero in the scriptures is Christ Jesus. The only one perfect that we look to is Christ Jesus, who, who perfectly surrendered and yielded to his father's commands and his father's was on our behalf. Everybody else is a broken vessel God used. Everybody else. Exhibit A, Jonah, right? Jonah, hey, kind of a big deal. You, you like, that's, that's like, and here's what's, you know, what's interesting about Jonah's life is I thought I had this, man, I'm like, man, poor Jonah for like, couple millennium, like all he's been known for is getting swallowed by a fish. You know, we see him, and, and we, we miss the fact that like, we see him in glory, we're like, hey, Jonah, are you the fish guy? You're the, tell me about the fish, man. What was that like? And Jonah's like, yeah, that, that was part of my story. But did you not miss like hundreds of thousands of people, pagan Assyrians coming to, like, to repent? Did you miss that miracle? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But, but dude, what's it like in a fish, dude? Like, tell me about that, right? Like, that's, his, that's who Jonah is, okay? Well, like David, he's got a track record. Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Abraham, there's, wow, there's lots of things that could disqualify Abraham. And yet God calls them. He chooses them. He uses broken vessels. And so here's the whole point. We're not called to point people to ourselves because we're not great. God is great. We're not perfect. Christ is perfect. We're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, Right? And so if God has an Excel sheet of everyone that he can use, use in the church, and there's only two columns, those in the church, the beloved of God who are perfect, who have arrived and no longer need the sanctifying work of the Spirit in their life, that's column one. And then there's column two, those who are in the process of sanctification. They are imperfect. They are in process. They are broken, but in the process of being restored. Uh, and then that's the other column. Guess where we all fall into those columns? Is anyone but Christ Jesus in column A? No, everybody else is in column B, broken but beloved, in process. And God's saying, let's get in the game. Come with me. Come with me, Jonah, to Nineveh. All of us are in process. If we, if we, if we believe that uh, in progressive sanctification, that the Holy Spirit is at work conforming us over time, more and more maturing us into the image of God, well, that means that we haven't arrived yet. None of us have arrived no matter what your platform, no matter what your title is, none of us have arrived. We're all in process. God can only use imperfect people to advance his kingdom, right? And I share that not to minimize the call for consecration, not to minimize uh, the fact that uh, people can disqualify themselves for certain ministry roles. I'm not minimizing that at all. What I'm, what I'm just saying is there is a sense of, of relief that that brings, that, hey, I'm never going to, when we go on our prayer walks, I'm, I'm never going to be able to give the perfect 
evangelistic message. I'm going to fumble my way through it. But the Holy Spirit is going to work on people's hearts as, I, as long as I am faithful to go. So the call is to get over ourselves. Stop trying to point people to yourselves and your perfection. We're not great. God is. And he's calling us to point other people to him, to his glory, to his love, to his kindness, and not just ourselves. So these are just some takeaways before we move on to some of the next points. Is, is what we see in our text is Jonah went in spite of everything that was in the rearview mirror of his life. So one, don't let your shame keep you out of the game. Don't let your shame keep you out of the game. Where has the Holy Spirit been tugging on your heart? Uh, to maybe get involved in a certain department team at our church or, or just, just go across the street and, and love a, a neighbor, but you keep putting yourself on the bench and saying, I, other people can do that, I can't. And then the second thing that I would exhort us to is let's stop comparing ourselves to other Christians. Let's just cut that mess out. Stop, hey, the person we compare ourselves is to Christ Jesus, and we all fall short. And he gives us mercy and grace. That's amazing, right? Everybody else is in need of his grace and his mercy. So let's stop comparing ourselves to posters, to podcasters, and all that stuff. The comparison is the thief of joy. I love what John Wimber says. John Wimber says, uh, is known for saying this, that in God's family, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Verses will be on the screen. Often we look at these offices in verse 11, and we're like, man, these are the... These are the generals, man. These are the heavy hitters. These are the guys that do the work of the ministry. And then this is what we learn here. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to do what? To do the work of the ministry? No, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so I'm going to share a story. I'm, I've been listening to a book um, called Unoffendable by this guy, Brant Hansen. Yes, Phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. It's a joy to listen to because he's a really, he, he does the own voice, he reads the book, okay? It's, it's actually a really good book. And uh, he shares a story. I love his take, his humility, and the fact that he's like, hey, I'm just imperfectly trying to uh, love people for the cause of Christ. And he shares a story where he was, um, they used to live in a townhouse, and across the street there was somebody else who lived in a townhouse, and he, you know, he would do like the classic na neighbor nod and, and all that stuff, but never really got to know them, but um, he heard through another neighbor that the father there had just a couple weeks prior lost, I believe it was, uh, his wife and one of their kids, and his heart was broken. He was never like a, a huge evangelist to this family, didn't know them, didn't know what to do, and he, he dogs on himself for being shy and, and, and awkward and, and public and all that stuff. And he says, you know what, I, I, just, I just decided to go. And I knocked on the door. And I had no idea what to say. And the guy answers it. And I literally say something to the effect, I fumble through my words. And he goes, hey, man, I, I heard what happened to your family. And I, honestly, I have no idea what to say. I, I honestly don't know what to do. Uh, I'm not sure how to, to, to act in these circumstances, but I just want to let you know, man, we are so sorry for you, and, and, we, and we love you. And if there's anything we can do, you know, to help, please, please let us know. I, I just, I don't know what to say besides that. And the guy doesn't slam the door in his face. He invites him to come into his house, and they talk for about two hours and then strike up this relationship, this friendship, where he uh, begins to be able to minister the love of Christ to this guy. And I love, I would highly recommend reading that book, but the reason I share that is he just went. And his heart was, I just want to go. I just, I want to I stop letting, uh, trying to be perfect, keep me from just going. And, and even telling people that I'm trying to share my faith with or just love 
to give him this perfect picture saying, hey, I don't, I don't know what to do, but this is what Jesus has done for me, and I want to share that with you. So here's, our, here's my, my prayer application point uh, before we move on to uh, getting back to our text is this. Join me in praying this prayer this week. God, you sent imperfect Jonah to bring your mercy to Nineveh. Now would you use imperfect me to bring your mercy and compassion to others this week? I want to go, and I don't want, to, I don't want uh, my lack of perfection and knowing exactly what to say and do stop me from just simply going and trusting that if I go, you'll do the rest. So returning to our text, we see what, that Jonah went, but what did Jonah say? What was the message that Jonah shared? And it says in our text that God actually gave Jonah a specific message to share. Jonah wasn't free to go a day's journey into the great city of Nineveh and say, hey guys, I discovered um, seven uh, uh, truths from the scriptures to elevate your life, uh, to 10x your life, to have you thrive in your marriage and, and, and family and business. That's not the message that Jonah gave. Uh, Jonah didn't give a message of self-help to the Ninevites. His message was turn from yourselves, and, and he, the message was divine help, that you guys need divine help. You need to turn from yourself, turn from your sin, and turn to God and surrender. And this is how we see the Ninevites respond. Second point, second scene of our text, Nineveh repents. Look at verses 5 through 9. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The greatest miracle that happens in the Jonah narrative is not the fish story. It's Nineveh repenting. It's Nineveh repenting. Uh, this is an unthinkable miracle that happens. This is what revival looks like spreading through a city. Pagan, immoral, hardened Assyrians who are the sworn enemies of the Israelites here in Israel, Israelite have the audacity to come into their city and tell them that his God has beef with them and was going to judge them for their sins and a miracle takes place and, and the whole city repents. It's beautiful. They believe what he says and they turn from their sins. And here's what we know about miracles is we're not, we're not in the miraculous business. God is in the miraculous business. And so Jonah didn't bring this revival of repentance and conviction of sin about. It was the Holy Spirit, right? And I had this uh, thought as I was preparing for the sermon of, it was almost as if the Holy Spirit um, went before Jonah to Nineveh, and he was pouring, dousing uh, the people in conviction gasoline, conviction kerosene, right? Their hearts were ready. And all God needed was say, hey, Jonah, I just need little Jonah to preach a small message to repentance, and that all I need is a little spark. Jonah, you're going you're gonna to flick the match. You're going to send that spark, and then, and then you're going to watch me work and what I can do with people's hearts through your obedience. And that's what happened. Jonah was the spark, and then the Holy Spirit, that spread like wildfire. There's no way that Jonah could go to every door in Nineveh, go talk to the politicians, and say he preached, and then, and then everyone went and told everyone else what the Holy Spirit was doing, what the message was, and the whole city 
turned from their hearts. And this is what I want to highlight from that before we talk about how they repented. Here's what's wild. If there was anyone, any group of people that the Israelites could label as unsavable and irredeemable, it was Nineveh. It was the Ninevites. It was the Assyrians. It was the Assyrians. For all intents and purposes, they were as far from God as you could get. Um, just study history about their barber. They were barbaric in their violence. Even the king and his edict is like, yo, dude, like, cut it out with all the crazy violent stuff, okay? The way they worship their demon gods is, is I'm not going to repeat from the pulpit. Like, it was just bad. They were, they were very bad, very pagan. Very, they, were, they were, quote, unquote, far from God. But what if those that we label as far from God are closer than we could ever imagine? Right? What if? What if? And so my question for us is, what specific groups of people have you written off as unsavable? Right? Like, like oh, like, yeah, there's no one ever going to come to faith out from that movement. There's no one that's going to give their lives to Christ from that religion, from that country. Like, like, let's talk about our prejudice. Where are we doing that? And here's the problem. When we put people in those categories as unsavable and irredeemable, we use that as an excuse not to love them and to serve them, but to keep our distance from them. And so my wife, some of you have heard this story before, some of you haven't, but she was not a Christian, a father of Jesus in high school. And by the grace of God, there was this ministry called Young Life at her school, filled with young adults whose heart was to uh, reach the lost for Jesus. And right as I'm sharing this story, my wife walks in. Why you got to do that, babe? Um, and so the way Young Life works is um, they try to reach the, the, the kids that, that are farthest from God in high schools. And one of the ways they do that is this big push to get as many people possible to camp. Because they get kids to camp, they'll hear the clear uh, uh, message of the gospel and be encouraged and challenged for a response. What are you going to do about what Christ has done for you? And so the leaders, uh, they all told uh, Jen this after uh, she came to camp. Um, and what happened there, well, um, they said, we had this list that we were praying over um, for some of who we were going to invite to camp. And there were three columns on that list. There was the yes, if we ask these people to come to camp, they will come to camp with us. There is the maybe, maybe these people will um, <laughs> come to camp with us. And then there was the third list was the, the H-E double hockey sticks no list. And that's what they labeled it. You know, I would say when we're in church. But H-E double hockey sticks no, that there's a list of people that will not go to camp if we invite them to go to camp. So here's what's fascinating is how did those Christians respond to the people they labeled as kind of unsavable, uninvitable, would never come to a Christian camp. Now, high school, did they keep their distance? Did they uh, just, just sit and talk about all the, the evil that these sinners were doing and, and condemn them and, and, and make them know that they condemned them? Or did they draw near to those in that category? And did they send awkwardly go? Jen said it was, it was like one of the most awkward moments of her high school is when uh, uh, a couple awkward people, a young life leader and someone she didn't really know in high school, knocked on her front door with a flyer in their hand. And they, and they said, it was imperfect. They were, she could tell they were nervous. It was awkward. And her life was forever changed because of that. It didn't have to be some perfect you know, like sham wow presentation to go to camp. It was just a simple act of obedience of this young life leader and a kid in high school going to someone 
that was far from God and would never come. And, and then financial provision came so that her and her, her twin sister could go to camp. And on the same night, they didn't know that they're separated. On the same night, they both give their life to Jesus Christ. And their lives are forever changed because of that. So why would we let our shame or awkwardness keep us from doing what God has called us to do? Who in our lives is God simply saying, just go knock on the door, fumble your way through it, embarrass yourself is better than sitting on the sidelines, right? And those people that were in that group, they drew near. And because they drew near, as Christ drew near to us in our sin, when we were, quote, unquote, far, that's why we're saved. That's why we're here today. And so a couple of applications before we move on to our last point is one For some of us in this room, a response to this message, we might need to unsubscribe from some podcasts. We might need to unsubscribe from some false shepherds who are shepherding us in hatred of the very people that God has called us to love and serve. Right? That's a hard word. That's a strong word. I preach to myself. Right? But if there is someone that we're listening to you and and following and their consistent message is judgment and hatred and the audacity of the, of course, they're lost, they're sinners. If Christ didn't grab you, hold of your heart, we would be doing the same things. But God in his grace sent somebody, sent his spirit, sent his son, and sent somebody else who knew us to share the gospel with us and call us out of our sin. Right? So who are we following? Here's the deal. Please listen to this. It is impossible To listen to somebody, uh, a a podcaster, uh, whatever side of the aisle you you, you end up, or any side of the aisle that the pastor is taking to harden your hearts to, to whoever, it's impossible to just get their teaching and their content and not get their character as well. So when I, before you hit play on a podcast, you're not saying, it's not just what do I want to know, who do I want to become like? That's the question we need to ask before we hit play on that podcast and, 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 and consuming all of this political news and, and, and vehement anger and vitriolic, self-righteous anger. We, that's doing something to our hearts. It's impossible to consistently be shepherded by, 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 by certain uh, radical left or radical right and, not, and just not get their arguments but not get their character and their heart towards the people that they're shepherding us to hate, the very people that God called us to love. And the second thing is let's follow our shepherd's heart towards the lost. God's, God delights in showing mercy to sinners. Jesus Christ came. His mission was to seek and save the lost. And let's clothe ourselves in faith that nobody is safe from the reach of God. If a revival and salvation came to the Ninevites, surely it can come to those in our lives that we think are far from God. And so returning to our text, it's not shocking uh, it's not just shocking that they repented, but look at how they repented. Look at how the city repented. Look at the scope and the intensity of their repentance. It is remarkable. It is striking. It spreads like wildfire, um, even to the extent that the king gets on board and issues an edict, and he commands everyone. He says, everyone needs to repent of your sins as quickly as possible and as much as possible. And the outward sign of that inward reality of, of repentance will be fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And not only the people, but even the animals in the city need to repent with us. That's the scope of the repentance, right? Sorry, Milo. No more puppy chow for you. And oh, by the way, you got to wear this itchy sweater, you know? And that's what you might be, hey, well, what's the deal with fasting and sackcloth and ashes? What that is, is it's an outward sign of an inward reality. So covering yourself in ashes was saying that on the inside, I'm coming into agreement that, that this, is, this is my heart before God, that, I, that I'm filthy, that I need cleansing. 
Uh, I need grace. I need mercy. Um, that's what I need. I'm coming into agreement with that. And then secondly, what's the deal with the sackcloth? Is sackcloth was this goat hair, burlap kind of sack that I guess people would walk around in. And it was really ugly and, and really itchy. It was like that Christmas sweater your mom would put you in for the photos and it just like drives you nuts as a little kid, you know, like, oh, that ugly sweater. And what that is is saying, I, this, is, this is the state of my sin before a holy and just God, and I'm not content with it. It bothers me. It itches me. Uh, I'm mourning it. It grieves me. I'm not happy with it. I'm not content with it. It grieves me. And so if we were to use a modern-day illustration of what the whole city of Nineveh is doing, um, it is a, you know, it is a detox. It is a, is it a cleansing, right? Some of us, uh, I think it was about seven years ago, at least some people I knew were, it was super trending. Like, detox and cleansing was like all the rage, right? I don't know if it's still trending, but people were doing crazy things that I knew to get rid of these, like, these toxins in their body, right? Fasting and drinking these cocktails and other things I'm not going to say. And I'm just like, whoa, like you guys really don't like these toxins, right? And what's the point of a detox? It's saying that in my body there are these toxins that are causing present destruction or, and or future destruction. And as quickly and as fully as possible, I want these toxins to be purged and cleansed out of my system so that my body can be recalibrated to wholeness, to righteousness, and to integrity. And that's what this is for the Ninevites. This is what fasting and cleansing, and uh, it's, it's, it's a sin cleanse. It's a, it's a spiritual detox, if you will, where they're saying, I, we have this toxin of sin. We're not okay with it. I, I'm not at peace with it. And as fast and as fully as possible, we want to be cleansed from our impurities and our unrighteousness and receive the mercy of God. And so for us, I think here, a quick side note before we move on to our last point, is the conviction of the Spirit came. They heard the preached word of God, and they came into agreement. But here's the deal. I think what I've seen in my own life and what we see often in our lives is, is contentment with sin in our life that is bringing destruction. And so my, my kind encouragement today to you before we take communion would be to be praying and asking God, Lord, would you turn my heart to see any offensive way in me, right? Come and search me, O Holy Spirit, and see if there's anything toxic in me that is unresolved, that I'm, I'm blinded by in my sin, and would you lead me, not in con that's not shaming or condemnation, but while I see it, and then would you lead me in the way of everlasting? I'm gonna confess it, I'm gonna receive forgiveness and cleansing, and then would you show me the way forward out of that sin and into righteousness? And one of the major things we see here, I love what it says in verse 5. It says this in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed in God. The people of Nineveh believed in God. Repentance is not just turning from sin. It's entrusting yourself into the merciful hands of God. Repentance isn't just turning from sin. It's turning to God to receive his mercy and his cleansing. In verse 9, the king says this. Look at verse 9. The king says, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is true repentance, placing your, yourself into the merciful hands of God. In, uh, in battle, historically, there's these moments where famous, proud, accomplished generals uh, find themselves in a bind, if you will, 
that they, both they and their army, have been surrounded by a greater power, a greater force that they've been at war with. And the king, the general, has to make a decision. Do we fight to the death, or do we raise the white flag and surrender and entrust ourselves to the care of those that we were once fighting against, right? And what um, this picture I got as we were, as I was prepping, was what if the Lord, in his grace to Nineveh, he kind of laid a military siege around the city. The armies of the Lord surrounded the city, and God sends in a messenger and saying, in 40 days, God is coming to bring just, true, perfect judgment for your sins in this city. What are you going to do, people of Nineveh? And what are you going to do, their fearless leader, the, the king of Nineveh? And this is what we see the king do in verse 6. I love this picture. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And watch this. He left his throne. He arose from his throne. He removed his robe. And he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. What is happening here? The king is raising the white flag of surrender to the true king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's stepping off of his throne. He's saying, we surrender. We're surrounded. We come into agreement. And we are, we are entrusting our lives into your merciful hands. Be merciful to us in our sin. We agree and we surrender, both I and the city. I leave my throne and we are POWs now. We belong to you. We surrender to you. Now the question is this, and band, you can come on up. We're going to wrap up here on this last point. Is The question is this. Now that the king has left his throne and the people have, have bent their knee and, and have turned from their sin and entrusted themselves to God, and now God possesses them in a way. God owns them. They've, they've, they've turned over the title of their life to God. How is God going to treat them? What is God going to do with those that just surrendered to them? And this is what we see in our last point. God relents. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented, of the, uh, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. He did not do it. This is God's heart. This is God's character. This is God's nature. If we were to ask, why did God not bring judgment to the Ninevites for their sins because he is a God of compassion. He is a God who delights in showing mercy. Micah 7, 18 through 19 says this about uh, God's nature. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but watch this, delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Do you believe this is God's heart? Do you believe this is God's nature towards you? Whether you would label yourself as far from God or you would label yourself as kind of uh, complicated with God. Do you believe that this is God's nature towards you because how you view God will determine whether you surrender to him or not, right? How you view him. If you view God as having his hand raised and you know you're a sinner caught red-handed and you know that you have to come and the Lord is just waiting to, to, to give you a backhand and to shame you and give you a talking to, or, or 
was the fullness of God's glory and love shown to us in Christ Jesus when instead of uh, God's judgment and, and kind of backhand coming to us, we see God in the flesh with arms open wide, nailed to a cross, welcoming, welcoming sinners to come to receive fresh mercy and receive fresh grace. This is our God. This is his heart towards the sinner. I heard a, a, a worship line recently where the singer said this. I love this line. I saw mercy sitting where the judge should be. I saw mercy sitting where the judge should be. And let me conclude with Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 before we take communion. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. If today, as I've been preaching, if the word of God has brought conviction and, and there's things that are tripping you up, just ask the Lord, bring that to him, confess that to him. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for how I've been treating others. I'm sorry for the sin that you've highlighted. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you give me a fresh start? And would you lead me in the way of righteousness? That's the invitation today is for us to turn from sin. And then watch this. Here's the invitation. We turn from sin. Why? Because it trips us up from knowing and following Jesus and running the race. Let, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Who do we look to? Do we look to ourselves to do that? No, we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, God delights in showing mercy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What comes to mind, if you were here last week, um, when Jesus Christ was at the Lord's Supper, he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for his broken body and his shed blood. And what Rick, Pastor Rick Ryder uh, talked about was Jesus thanking God the Father that he got to be a part of God's work of showing mercy to sinners. And that was the joy that was set before Jesus was, was what if, what if it was, it was a moment like this where the redeemed of God would be covered the wrath of God would be taken, absorbed by him. And so now he, we could draw near to a table of fellowship with our king and know the depths of his love and his mercy and kindness. So let's respond with communion. If you are here today and a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate in this family meal with us, celebrating the work of our king. The elements are in the hallway if you need them. And uh, continue to pray and keep in fellowship with the Lord as we, as we sing two songs to conclude. But the first song we're gonna sing is, I Surrender All. I surrender all. We sang it this morning, and I think it's fitting that I didn't, Jeff and I didn't coordinate, and the direction the Lord led me yesterday in preparing this was this idea of surrender. Surrender. So I think this is a word for us to consider as you guys begin to pray uh, before you take communion, is, Lord, where in my life am I fighting you? Where in my life are, 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 am I running from you? And what would it look like for me in that specific area to open up my hands and surrender and receive new mercy and new guidance and new wisdom? So let's Let's do that today, and we'll conclude with worship and a benediction.